I'm Candace Lim. And I'm Shayna Roth, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today, we have yet another dispatch from the set of The Golden Bachelor. Okay, so according to my telegram, Rachel has actually unionize the contestants oh my god so rachel has now become the executive producer of the golden bachelor wow very jeopardy ep making himself the host that's fine rachel is making reality tv a better place and i'm really excited because in her place here is someone great, someone the Slate girlies might know. She's the producer of Slate podcast, The Waves. It's Shayna Roth. Hello, Shayna. Hello. I am thrilled to be here and honestly really excited for Rachel's continued Bachelor run. I, I wish her all of the roses. <laughs> Me too. So, Shayna, I think it is time to ask the question all I see why my inductees must be asked, which is, what is your first internet memory? Oh, my God. I pained over this, okay, because I am old (laughs) enough to remember, like, when the internet started-ish. Like, I'm 30 – I think I'm 34. I I always forget how old I am. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure I'm 34. Um, And so one of the things that, like, I just really remember is all of those AOL discs of, like, free 50 hours. And I don't think we ever used them, Uh but we had – Dozens of them. They were all (laughs) over this giant. I'm going to say it was a Commodore. I know it wasn't, but that's the thing that's coming to my mind. It had like clinky clacky keys. It looked Mm -hmm. like it was from hackers. It was this crazy computer. We had all these AOL discs. But I will say that maybe the first like memory of using the Internet I have is when a friend of mine and I. We both wanted to communicate via instant messenger because that's Mm. what the cool kids were doing. But neither of us had it. So we got this bright idea. We're like, let's just email each other Uh while we're sitting here back and forth. It'll be just like Internet Messenger. I don't know why we thought this. (laughs) So we picked a time and we're like, okay, we're just going to email each other at the same time. And as soon as I hit send, my computer crashed. (gasps) And I swear to God, I thought I broke the Internet. I thought there was some (laughs) rule that said you couldn't simultaneously send emails, like get and receive emails at the same time. And I was like, oh, I broke the computer. Oh, my God, I ruined it. And so, like, I just, like, slowly slunk away and left it for somebody else to figure out what was going on. That is so funny. I will say this is not the first time we're meeting because the first time we met was actually on Culture Gap Fest. We did an episode together. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you something, Shana. I really felt good about you. Okay, because your recommendation at the end of that episode was Below Deck Sailing Yacht. And I remember I was like, I see you. You see me. We see each other because we are both Below Deck people. It was absolutely faded. It was totally faded. Uh huh. When we find each other, we stick like barnacle to ship. And so let's start here. How deep are you into the BDU, the Below Deck universe? Oh, my God. If we talked about this in below deck terms, I think I would be a captain at this point. Oh, yeah. I have been a below deck loyalist since original below deck season one. And for (laughs) those who are not familiar, there are five iterations of the show. There's Mm -hmm. original below deck. There's below deck sailing yacht. There's Mm -hmm. below deck adventure, below deck med. And of course, below deck down under, which is what we have gathered here today to really dig into. I have seen every episode multiple times. Honestly, this is the show like I'm working on a project. I need a little white noise that's not Uh music. I turn on Below Deck 
what have the kids done? I know it all, but I got to see it again. <laughs> if they wanted to air new episodes all year round, I would watch them. I can't get enough of this show. There was a time when there were two seasons going on at once, and it was like a two for week of Below Deck. It was like one of the top 10 times of my life. It was like your Olympics, you know? It was. It was amazing. I was like, you mean I get to watch new episodes twice? Yes, please. <laughs> Yeah. And it's interesting because I myself was not a Below Deck person until last year when they released all 17 episodes of Below Deck Dan Anda, uh, otherwise known from this point on as BDDU, on Peacock. So it didn't even go to Bravo. Like it wasn't even airing on broadcast. But because it was available all at once, I gulped that down. And listeners, I can proudly say that I have watched season one of BDDU in whole anywhere from like seven to 17 times. <laughs> it is an incredibly bingeable show. I mean, they've cracked this amazing formula where it's like Downton Abbey meets the real world. Mm. So if you watch multiple seasons, it gets really interesting because you have these repeat cast members. So mm-hmm. original Below Deck, you had Captain Lee, who is, by the way, Saginaw's own. I'll point out, I love a fellow Michigander. <laughs> and you had Chief Stew, Kate Chastain. Yes. Who, And the two of them were on for quite a few seasons, and they've become Bravo celebrities in their own right. And so it's fun to see who comes back, how the returners mix with the newbies, and just all of that chaos that results. And because of that, I love this show. You love this show. And today... We're going to be diving into some recent episodes of BDDU that I would say had some pretty big, important conversation online. Yes. And it's because a lot of viewers have been praising Captain Jason, Chief Stu Asia, and the producers for responding really well and I think we would argue correctly to Mm -hmm. a bad, scary situation that happened on episodes six and seven. I would say this was a more under the radar part of the Below Deck universe, Mm -hmm. uh, but this catapulted BDDU to the top of the Below Deck universe. I mean, the Washington Post wrote about it. I didn't (laughs) know anyone over there even knew what Below Deck was, let alone BDDU. Mm -hmm, For sure. And we do want to note that our conversation will be including discussions of sexual assault, and we will not be playing any audio from the incident that occurred. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Shayna and I will be breaking down what happened in the Below Deck universe, the Below Deck universe, (laughs) and why it broke a really important fourth wall in the reality TV matrix. All that and more after the break. Hey there! If you love our podcast, then maybe you should consider subscribing to Slate Plus. With Slate Plus, there are no ads on any Slate podcasts. And Slate Plus helps keep this podcast going, because this show would not be possible without your support. With Slate Plus, you'll get bonus segments and episodes for shows like Slow Burn, Hit Parade, and The Waves. You'll also never hit a paywall on the Slate website, meaning you get access to every article and every advice column. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That's slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back. So Shayna and I are here to talk about Below Deck Down Under. And in order to dive into this universe, 
I think we got to start with some basics, some world building. And so, Captain Shayna, could you do me a favor and kind of explain what's going on here? You know, like, who are the main characters? Who do we need to know? And what is kind of important for us deckies uh, entering this 101 course? I feel like I have been preparing for this moment for like a decade. <laughs> I'm ready. Every season of Below Deck in every iteration has the following. There's a captain, there's a chef, a chief stew, and some sort of lead deckhand, usually called the bosun, but they mm-hmm. sometimes get cute with the title. And then there's usually three-ish deckhands and three stews. Also, one of my favorite parts of every season is you see like the chief engineer and like some other type of operator that are on the boat and you see them once and you never see them again except maybe in passing. It's really fun. I think one time they were called like Gary and Larry or something. It was great. So each season, it's basically about how this particular crew deals with the wild and often drunk and out of control charter guests on board and the guests cycle out per two to three day charter. So a charter Mm -hmm. is essentially the length of time that specific group of guests are on board. And the number of guests, I mean, it ranges. Sometimes it's like four or five, sometimes it's like seven or eight. It it really Mm -hmm. depends. And the types of people really vary. So that's where you really get a lot of the fun interaction, all the like, what is going to happen? The the really curiosity seeds are planted very early because you get these charter guests, they are constantly an unknown to everybody, except for you get to know them a little bit when the captain and the chief stew and the bosun and the chef sit down and go through their preference sheets meetings. That's another right. one of my favorite parts of right. every episode is the preference sheets meeting. So you have a lot of this built-in tension, not just among the people trying to work together and do their jobs, but also between the employees and the guests. And sometimes you get drama between the guests and they will get rowdy with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, on a recent season of Sailing Yacht, Captain Glenn got in the middle of two guests he thought were going to physically fight, and he tried <laughs> to calm them down. Unbelievable from you. Dude, Dude. Upstairs. Just get up, off. Upstairs. Just get out. Is get this up. how you want to talk? No, no, hey, no. Hey, 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 no don't push anybody. This is ridiculous. I'm telling you, the first moment I see anyone getting aggro, they will be getting off the boat. Keep not, that in mind when you talk to your friends. Not, you're clear on that? We are not even good, violent. Good. We want some fun. There is nothing to be clear about. You can Dude, talk to you're your getting friends. aggro to me, and you're that far from getting off the boat. So this particular season of BDDU that we have is Captain Jason and then Chief Stu Asia, who actually started out on Below Deck Med Season 4. And then she returned last year for Below Deck Down Under Season 1. Also, we have a deckhand named Culver who was on last season and came back uh, a couple of episodes in. And then we have a new chef, deckhands, and stews. And the important ones for this particular conversation are Luke, who is a bosun, Adam, who is a deckhand who gets seasick and can't swim, which (laughs) boggles my mind. Then you have Margo, who's a third stew, and Laura, who is a second stew. And so third stew is the lowest rung. Second stew has more experience. Now... Let's kind of get into the incident that we're here to talk about, which is what happened at the end of episode six, beginning of episode seven of this season of Below Deck Down Under. Shayna, guide us through it. So there's two big storylines that kind of intersect at the end. And the first one involves Luke and Margot. They had been flirting and had previously made out in episode two. Keep in mind, we're talking about people knowing each other for a very short period Mm -hmm. of time because each charter is like two to three days and a charter will last like an episode and a half. 
Margot had actually just joined the boat at this time. So when she and Luke made out, they'd known each other for hours. By episode yeah. six, it's been maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah. So Luke and Margot flirt, they make out, and then after another charter on another night out, Luke and Laura have sex. Mm-hmm. And everybody finds out. And Margot kind of moves on. She's exploring something with another deckhand named Harry. Well, Luke seems to be not interested in Laura anymore and tries to make it sound like he didn't really want to have sex with her. I mean, yeah. here's Luke telling Margot about this while they blow up balloons and then Laura comes in. I wasn't like 100% down for what happened the other night. Yeah, she doesn't like to be blown off. I didn't expect to get taken out of a hot tub and taken down to my room either. There was definitely other things going on. It was the last thing on my mind. 100%. Boy, I don't have a crush on Luke anymore. Definitely not my type, I think. It was just, just coming off too strong. Do you yeah. know it? Okay, what did I miss? Tell me. Nothing. Talking about you. You need to start cracking other eggs. What? See how your tally goes. See how far you get around. He doesn't want all this, then it's his fault. So Luke has decided he wants Margot back. And even before the end of episode six, he starts showing some strong red flags. I mean, this guy was like a walking red flag from the jump. The one that stands out to me is when Margot is looking at a cake and he puts his hand on the back of her neck and like tries to push her Mm -hmm. face into the cake. And then he kind of tries to kiss her cheek. He like nuzzles into her, into her neck a little bit. It was, it was weird. And he did a lot of this love bombing type stuff. I went back over the last few days and rewatched all of season two because I am a professional. (laughs) (laughs) I am a professional, damn it. And watching it all back, knowing what happens, I mean, the signs are really all there. Hey, bud. Hello, my love. Hi. How are you, bloody sexy thing? Amazing. How are you? Can I throw this in the dryer? Um, you can take these out. Before I get around. Okay, you go. So at the end of episode six, they all go out. It's the end of the charter. And once the charter is done, they really tend to just go out, have a good time, have dinner, go to a bar, dance around. Margot gets incredibly drunk. And on the way back to the boat in the van, she lays her head in Luke's lap. And Luke's behavior up to this point has gotten Aisha, the chief stew's attention. So I want to, I don't want to play the clip because it is kind of creepy and disturbing, but I do want to point out that in the van, Aisha, who's in the front seat, tells Luke, no gobbies for you, which I'm guessing is a sexual term. And Luke tells her later. And Aisha and Zarina, who's the chef, have a reaction to this. They're like, no, what are you talking about? She is clearly passed out drunk. And Luke tries defending himself, being like, well, you said it. And they're like, no, we should be putting her to bed. And then Luke Mm kind of leans over Margo and he says, should I put you to bed? And she makes like a, you know, a drunk sleeping person noise. And he says, exactly. So all of Aisha's spidey senses and girl senses are triggered and she's on high alert. She puts Margo into bed. She essentially ushers her right onto the boat, gets her some water, helps her out and gets her into bed. Here's where things get really weird. Aisha leaves and there is this power outage that suddenly happens. It's not quite clear what happened. They kept saying that it's like a shore outage. So it was unexpected for everybody. During that outage, Luke goes into Margot's room and crawls up into her 
tiny top bunk. bunk. They have very small beds. Mm -hmm. And he's wearing nothing but a towel, so he's basically naked. Production opens the door right away and tells him to get out. He doesn't at first. He's trying to essentially get Margot to say that he can stay. And she's mumbling to him that it's sleep time and a producer Mm -hmm. keeps telling him to get out and get down. He finally does. But then he tries to close the door and the production keeps trying to keep the door open and telling him he needs to leave. Finally, he gets out. He goes into his room and he locks the door. And he is sort of in there for a little while. When Aisha finds out about this, she makes sure that Margot's okay and that Luke did not have consent to be there. Then -hmm. she goes and finds the captain. And Captain immediately kicks Luke off the boat and sends him to a hotel. And the next day tells him to pack his shit and leave. So the other part of this is is stickier and it kind of goes on longer. You have Adam, who is a deckhand. And he makes it clear very early on that he does not want to hook up with anyone. This is just that's just not his vibe. He is not interested. But when Luke pushes Laura aside after they have sex, Laura decides that she wants to hook up with Adam. And essentially then nothing is going to stop her. And she keeps bugging this man. She is constantly making suggestions to him. She's touching him. Um, she keeps saying in her sort of like one-on-one or confessional that, oh, he's hard to read, but it's like, no, he's not. He's very clearly said, I just want to be friends. He's saying in his confessional that he's not interested in her and she won't stop. And at the end of episode six, they're in a hot tub together, Adam and Laura, and she's like literally grinding on him. Yeah. And he tells her to stop. But production doesn't step in until after the situation with Luke and Margot, which, by the way, is the same night. They step in when Adam is lying face down in his bed and Laura crawls into his bunk and tries to give him a massage that he really doesn't want. Then production is like, "Okay, Laura, get out. And Laura is eventually fired, but it's hard to tell how much of it is for her harassment of Adam and how much is for this weird one-woman reputation campaign she starts on Luke's behalf. Yeah. I mean, she tells Margot, quote, poor Luke, I should have kept him happy. If he comes naked in my cabin, I'd be like, hello, yes. And then she said, we all feel bad, but he feels the worst right now. I mean, she sucks. And we're going to get into it because there's, there's just a lot of sucking going on here. But Aisha tells Adam that she noticed that Laura was on him a lot. And he says, yeah, he's uncomfortable, but basically he doesn't want to get anybody in trouble. And eventually Aisha brings this to the captain and says that Laura is exhibiting, quote, borderline sexual harassment. I would argue it's not borderline. So he fires Laura as well. So within the span of like one night of insanity, you have two people fired the next day. And interestingly, we're two people down, which is how they started this Mm -hmm. season. And so it's like one thing to kind of be stressed about that. But the events that proliferated to this extent makes everything really stressful. And I would say episode seven is kind of the aftermath of all Mm -hmm. these incidents. There's no charter guests. They're just literally like cleaning the boat. Culver becomes interim bosun. He's not cut out for this. Can we just say that? The man doesn't want to be bosun. The man doesn't want to be in charge. He just wants to eat the chef's food and talk to his mom on the phone. God bless. <laughs> exactly. And so I would say the boat kind of ends up in this chaotic place. There's a lot of uncertainty. I also just wanted to take a moment to kind of reflect on like everything that's happened. Can we talk about Laura and how Please. she 
was defending Luke after he gets kicked off the boat, she is saying some of the worst written dialogue in the English language possible to Margot, who was just almost assaulted by Luke. For me, it was when Laura says to Margot, he's a sexual person. I'm a sexual person. Like the way she not only sided with him, but like identified with him was so evil, recognizing evil. Like at this Mm -hmm. rate, I was like, oh, my God, Sigmund Freud, Sigmund Freud, you need to get your ass up. You need to get to work because Laura needs to be studied. She's a new branch of psychology. It is wild. And thank God she was fired. There's no way to work with a person like that. If you are so obtuse and just have no concept of, even if you think these things, we know better than to say them out loud, or you should know better than to say them out loud to people. I mean, if you think them, you're a terrible person and I don't want to work with you. But I mean, like most people would realize, oh, that's a bad thought. I probably shouldn't say that to somebody. And she doesn't. She is so completely clueless or doesn't care or just lacks any sort of empathy about Mm -hmm. the whole thing. And what I found so baffling after the fact is Mm -hmm. so this is filmed i don't know maybe like a year in advance it's actually quite a big lag time in between and when the episode came out she posted on instagram essentially saying that i was 29 Uh at the time i'm Mm -hmm. 31 now and 30 was a big growing year for me she never really apologizes i mean she kind of does but not really Mm -mm. i think she gives the old i'm sorry if you were uncomfortable Mm mm-hmm but she does not say admonish what she says. She does not say that she never should have stood up for Luke. She does not say that Luke is a bad person. She does not say that she, you know, should not have said these things. It is insane. And also, <laughs> I'm sorry, 29 is not young. 29 yeah. is not confused about consent young. I am yeah. sorry. 20 and, and especially for somebody who claims to have like really lived a lot. She talks a lot about how she packed up and left home at 18 and she traveled right. the world. Like you no, I'm sorry. No, absolutely not. Exactly. I mean, that Instagram post itself is just so telling of the person that she has not grown into because the photo, by the way, guys, the photo is like an ass shot of her on the beach. <laughs> like, there is no, there is no accountability here. It is, it is wild. It is wild. It's so wild. And then she's doing the thing because I was able to see some of her Instagram stories. Yeah. Where she's posting about how... You know, it's your typical, like, haters gonna hate and thank you to the people who support me and understand me and yada, yada, yada. And it's just, no, no, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And obviously, we're dragging Laura through the mud. But trust me, guys, Luke, oh, Luke is also rightfully being dragged to hell and back. And we're gonna talk about how the Internet is responding to all of this chaos after the break. And we're back to talk about Below Deck Down Under with Shayna Roth, producer for Slate Podcast, The Waves. So, BDDU, not exactly a conversation starter, like, since it's (laughs) begun, but I will say that I was quite surprised by how much steam this has kind of picked up online, how many people are talking about it on Reddit and Twitter, and 
Interestingly enough, a lot of it is actually kind of positive. It's a lot of praise for like Captain Jason, his quickness to get Luke and Laura off the boat. It's appreciation for Aisha looking out for her stew and being like, I've been there and I'm never going to let that happen to you, which was really touching. I just want to ask from your perspective, like, what was your reaction to the fact that this became such a big deal for a franchise that frankly has not been until now? Uh, I've thought a lot about this because as soon as the episode was done, the next day I was scrolling and like I was waiting for outlets to pick up on this. But I had no idea if they would because, like you said, it's an offshoot and none of its cast has really become huge stars, not like the Captain Lee or the Kate Chastain way. And it's only in its second season. But I think one of the reasons that it did blow up is it's so rare to see production break that fourth wall on reality TV in such a significant way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like you had a comment from a producer over here that you hear it during a person's one-on-one. This was you saw the production member go into the room Mm -hmm. and put their hands out and, you know, stop doors and you saw cameras shaking and things like that. And maybe it's becoming more common recently, but I think that breaking of the fourth wall is still very much a novelty. And I think when that happens, it makes the situation feel more real. Mm. You know, we kind of live in a world where we're like, yeah, it's it's reality TV, but is it? Is it real? Is it how much is scripted? But it's like when production gets involved, you're like, oh, something is really happening. And there's been issues on Below Deck in the past, like a lot of them. There has been racism portrayed on Below Deck. I'm thinking of the original Below Deck season nine when the mm-hmm. chief stew Heather said the N-word. And obviously a black stew named Raina got really upset by that. But there was no action against Heather. Uh, she hasn't been on the show since, but nobody interfered or tried to do any sort of sit down or anything really significant like that. So to see Bravo get involved, it really heightens the stakes. And I will also say that I think this is a rare situation where you really had all the right people doing all the right things. And we have very clear heroes and villains. We know that Luke is the bad guy. Luke is gross. And Luke is inappropriate mm-hmm. and terrible. And what happened to Margot is bad. And that it shouldn't have happened that way. It's just like, mm, I feel stupid. Don't ever feel stupid. He should feel stupid. I mean, yeah, but I just, I get, like, I was so drunk, and it's like. Women should be able to be blackout drunk if they want to. We should be able to stand in a room naked and not have anyone do anything to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you are allowed to be drunk. Yeah. You're, you're allowed to be. Yeah. It's the other person's problem. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, like, taking care of me. Of course. Of course. (laughs) That stuff is so affirming to hear. I think that that's kind of the stuff that we know. But when someone else tells you that, it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. you you see me. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Because that's kind of the first thing you think of, like, did this happen? Margot was asleep when all this happened. And the only reason she even knows what Luke did is because Aisha saw Luke running out of Margot's cabin. And like, also, all of this is caught on tape. So you just cannot, you cannot disagree with what you saw. I think what's so interesting is 
We're coming at this in a year when Bravo has been so rife with scandal this year. Like, this is not new for the network, but I think whom has been getting that coverage is a lot of, like, supporting players and very underestimated spinoffs. So, for example, like, Vanderpump Rules, they're getting nominated for an Emmy because of Scandal. <laughs> that is... Good for them. Um, but when we, when I think about BDDU, which once again, we're saying it's like the most underappreciated franchise here, like it's now finally picking up the eyes and the viewers because of the way that they and by they, I mean the producers and Captain Jason and Asia handled Luke and Laura's misconduct correctly in a way that makes viewers feel so I guess, justified and seen. And, you know, Shayna, as a below deck expert, is this surprising for the franchise and its history? It's shocking. When I was mm. watching this for the first time, I really thought, oh, we're going to, we're just going to push this under the rug yeah. and we're all just going to move on and it's not going to be a thing because the men on this show and in, in some of the women, but you know, it's, it's mostly the men yep. have been really fucking gross in mm -hmm. the past. And in, and in a wide range of ways, on Mediterranean season one, you had such a bro group and they were constantly objectifying female guests. Um, one deckhand named Danny got kicked off because he kept flirting with a woman and insisted on giving her a love poem. It was, it was wild and inappropriate. Like there's a huge issue with boundaries on this show and people understanding mm -hmm. boundaries, but you know, it's, it's a very constant thing across all the different franchises whenever the new group comes in it's the guys kind of gather in a little corner and they're like "Ooh, which of the girls do you think is hot which of the girls right. do you like who do you like and the girls kind of do it too but it's it's a lot of it's a lot more on the men as far as like looks and objectifying them in that way and then you have someone like this one guy, and I could not find his name, who was constantly talking about how he liked orgies and how he needed sex all the time. This was just something he would say a lot in his confessionals. It was so random. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you get a, a true angel, like below deck, Colin Macy O'Toole, who was on for a few seasons, mm. and he's just like a delightful human or like a Wes O'Dell. But this is a job slash reality show where everyone is in really tight quarters. So even when people try to have like actual quote unquote romances, it's super messy. And a lot of those even end up seeming icky, like a little less than great. There was mm -hmm. this season two storyline of Below Deck where two deckhands, it was a man named Kelly and he was attracted to a woman named Janice, but she had a boyfriend and she tried setting boundaries with him and being like, I have a boyfriend, but you know, but, but she also was like, I want to flirt with him because I really like him. He's so hot. And eventually he just went and kissed her. Yeah. And eventually they did start a relationship, but it was just, it all felt really like, Ugh. and it, mm -hmm. and it could have, gone another way it could really have gone another way and it was messy and it was like was what he did okay i mean it wasn't great and that's right. how a lot of relationships are on this show it's like i don't know that this is great for anybody right incidences of boundary crossing with guests with stews with deckhands on below deck has become so repetitive in a way it keeps mm -hmm. happening and this is maybe the first time that we've seen someone kind of just like stop the cycle and be like nope yeah pivot pivot to the right course fascinatingly 
I've been thinking a lot about the role of the producers in this incident, because as you said before, it was the producers who like knocked on the door, literally went up to Luke when he was in Margot's bed, basically patted him and then got him to get down. Same thing with Laura. And it's been making me question, you know, what is the role and expectation of a reality TV producer in 2023? Because I think historically, and I'm kind of basing this off of just like the Reddit conversation in Bachelor Nation, a lot of times... Bachelor Nation likes to dig on producers and say like, ah, they gave him a good edit. Ah, they didn't background check him for being a racist, stuff like that. And I think it's interesting because, you know, you're a producer. I can speak personally from my Mm -hmm. producer days, which is that kind of this like unspoken rule, but tenet of my job that was told to me is that my job was to save hosts and on-air talent from themselves because Mm. there's a lot of dumb shit they say on tape that we got to throw on the cutting floor. Otherwise, someone will talk about it on Twitter. It'll get pulled off the air. The FCC is going to step in, all this stuff. But it kind of makes me wonder if, you know, reality TV show producers, in a way, are kind of living under this tenant, too, in 2023, where it's like, hey, 10 years ago, If someone wanted to straight up beat up the captain, go for it. Just hang back, stay behind that curtain, don't touch it. And now I kind of wonder if reality TV show producers are maybe more empowered to be like active participants and to break that fourth wall, especially when it's kind of a life-saving measure. I think so. And I think... One of the times we really saw it, and it was super life-saving, was a few seasons ago on Below Deck, one of the deck hands got their foot tangled in a rope and got pulled under the water. Mm. And the cameraman put down the camera and, like, untied the thing to Mm. to get him away from the boat. So that way he was released from the boat and it saved his life. Yeah. And I think when you have a show like Below Deck where... It is a dangerous, it can be a very dangerous job, not just because you're out in the middle of open water and people do crazy stuff in the water and there's Mm -hmm. sharks and all these other things, but also, as we've been talking about, the really tight quarters. And you just don't know the people that are coming on board. You can vet them to some extent, but you just, you just, as we have seen time and time again with the number of gross people that have come on this show, maybe that was intentional, maybe not, but you just don't know. And I think that reality TV in general is being put under a much – is being looked at with a much bigger microscope than it mm. used to be. Like we are really concerned about the safety and the well-being of the people that we are watching. And we have, I think, as a society, different standards to what we are okay with letting happen. So, you know, years ago, there was an issue on the challenge where Tanya says that she was raped by a couple of the of the male cast members. And this never really came out until she sued. And that was something that, I mean, I heard about it like years and years after the fact. And nobody talks about it anymore. Um, those two, mm. the cast members that were implicated, they have not been allowed on the show. Nobody talks about it. It's all been sort of like completely swept under the rug. But if you go back and watch like early seasons of the challenge, I mean, there is some really horrible verbal violence done among the people right. on that show. And that was entertainment. 
You know, it was okay to watch, you know, a guy rip into another girl, calling her fat, calling her ugly, saying all Mm -hmm. these terrible things to her. And people were okay with that. I don't think you get away with that nowadays. I don't think people would stand for it. I don't think it would be okay. And I think that production now realizes that and they're seeing that, oh, we have to now also step in in these cases. Otherwise, we are going to get in trouble and people Mm -hmm. are not going to want to come back to our show if we say that this sort of thing is okay by airing it. I think what you're also hitting at is the fact that in 2023, we are questioning what is the extent to which we let entertainment go there, right? What is the extent Mm -hmm. that we risk our well-being, sacrifice, being in the Love Island villa for 46 (laughs) days, Big Brother filmed, and like having those therapists on set and also... Coming back to just below deck itself, you know, I feel like BDDU specifically, very much a reality show made for 2023. You know, Mm. my first thing about that is when it all first dropped on Peacock, they were very like purposeful with their cliffhangers because they made it real teasy, real stingery because they were like, oh, you definitely want to roll to the next one. That's one part of it. The second part of it is I feel like BDDU's cast and their leadership is just kind of younger in morals, younger in standards, and therefore they can just lead with a more progressive mindset. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like you said, the way Jason trusted Aisha, no questions asked, and said, yep, Luke is off the boat tonight, he's fired. The way Jason fired Laura on sight. I think that's why so many of us are talking about this, because we are surprised that for once in its history, Below Deck and by extension Bravo was like actively taking care of their cast. And I wonder if it's because in a weird way, Below Deck is kind of about the producers of yacht culture. You know, the people on Below Deck, they're the people behind the scenes. They're not rich. They're not glamorous. They're not housewives. They are the people who do menial jobs and they make shit happen. And in a weird way, producers of reality TV shows are like that, too. And so I wonder if maybe this was kind of an act of like crew watching out for crew. I think so. I think that it was this act of crew looking out for crew and also just in general i think that it was really one of those moments where the producers saw this can only end one way yes and we need to step in you know as more days go on and more people watch this episode and have more reactions online i'm kind of curious what do you think we can take away from this episode, because, you know, for example, I'm real big onto the subreddit. Send Below Deck has a very good one. People have also been on Twitter talking about this episode because, look, subreddit girlies, you guys run the FBI. From episode one, <laughs> this subreddit was so on top of Luke. They were like, this guy is creepy. Did you see mm-hmm. what he said? Are we seeing what we're seeing? Can you believe that thing he said to Margot and kissed her in episode two? Crazy. Oh my god, it was like the, it was the worst creepiest kiss ever. I mean, what happened was he told Margot they're dancing at the bar, it's kind of dark, and he tells her, "I think you have an eyelash." So she closes her eyes and he just to get the eyelash out and he just goes in and kisses her and mm-hmm. she reacts like, "Whoa, what was yeah. that?" Yeah, she says and that out loud. Yeah. Yes, and it was just I'm just like, "Who does this?" That that's the thing about Luke. He 
And maybe it's because this is exactly the type of guy that in college I would have been all over. It is this, he has (sighs) this love, what I know now to be love bombing, Mm -hmm. magnetism thing where he will just keep telling you how sexy you are, how beautiful you are. And, oh, don't we have a fun little secret? He's big on, you know, doing these like cute little side eyes and things like that, which to the people watching is just very clear, like just sirens going around being like, this guy is no good. But when you're when you're Margo in that position and you're young and you're like, I haven't had a boyfriend in a minute, it's really hard to figure out what you are feeling with that type mm-hmm. of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, we mentioned Laura's Instagram post following oh, this God. incident. I don't even want to describe Luke's post, but I have to, which is that he posted a thirst trap, guys. He posted a a photo of him bearing his abs. Oh, but the photo is telling. The caption tells more because in his caption, he writes, it doesn't matter what they think about you because you don't care. Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. And there's more. I don't want to go into it. I mean, I I will say that is the first time i have seen a response to sexual assault as a thirst trap Mm. and that is disgusting yeah and there is a reason why you should not do that i mean just don't say anything if you're gonna be this way about it just just disappear he's as far as i could tell i think he's often like fiji or something Mm -hmm. you know just just go just go away dude just get out of here and I think what also amazes me is the contrast that I've been seeing in terms of support. Mm -hmm. You know, all the other crew members who were on that boat have been posting. Aisha posted a video kind of reiterating that women should be allowed to be out and drunk and have fun with no consequences. Jason, even though his struck me as a little bit like reading from publicist, he did post a video as well, just being like, thank you guys for sharing your stories with me. Culver and Harry and Zarina absolutely had an adorable post. She had like a a knife or something, right? It was so badass. I encourage (laughs) everyone to seek out this pose because the picture is really what does it. It's just her in her chef's jacket and she's like got her hand on top of her knife and she's like balancing her chin on her hand. (laughs) And it's just about how women should be able to do what they want with their bodies. And it's 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 fabulous. Put it in the Met. I love it. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I think for me, what stands out most about the Internet's reaction to this is one, I'm so glad we have Reddit and Twitter for episodes like this because I think this is such a two-way experience of you cannot watch this and not feel anything. And so mm-hmm. it was just really hard affirming to see viewers kind of vocalize how this is the way they wish their experiences were handled and how now there's this precedent and there's this very clear filmed example of what to do because I feel like when we talk about sexual assault or misconduct, even in our lives, we kind of hear about the incident itself, but we don't always talk about the aftermath. We don't Mm -hmm. we don't hear who said what, who reacted, how, what led up to this, all that stuff. But here there is no question. Here we have a full before, during and after all three acts. And now there's just no question of what you should do in a situation like this, especially if you're a boss, you're a bystander, like the example is right there. And I think that is so much more valuable than like all the other stuff that we read about, hear about, especially in the Below Deck universe. Like for the first time, they're teaching us something that is so personal to our lives. 
Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review in Apple or Spotify, and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, do you ship Culver and Chef's Arena? And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and Candice Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. We'll see you online. Or on Super Yacht Northern Sun.